Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Thanks to you, our listeners, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio is growing and is now available on more stations such as Facebook Video, Player.fm iTunes, Verbal, and now on Amazon Audible. KRBN Internet News Talk Radio currently does not receive any funding to bring you these programs. However, we do ask that you hit that like button and tell your friends to help this station grow. And thank you again for your support. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show. With your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bosevich. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. And I'm your host, Westland County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, where it's a gorgeous day, although it's supposed to get hot in the next couple of days. And even though it rained all weekend, today is the first day of fire season here in Westland County. So folks, remember, no outdoor burning anymore, no fireworks uh etc. If you're in what they call wildland areas, and uh, if you want to understand what that is, you can go to the uh, West Lane Fire Protection Association or even ODF and, and see the maps. doesn't include Eugene because Eugene's not in the fire protection district, but uh, you kind of know if you look up on your property tax bill and see if you're paying for wildland fire protection in your property taxes. But it is fire season again. Um, not fire danger is low right now, so they still allow you to do things like you know run a chainsaw and and mow your lawn. But a- after this weekend's hot weather, I imagine that may change rather quickly because we are pretty far behind in, in the water here, even though we're ahead for June. But you know, fire season isn't the main topic of today's discussion. It's whatever you want it to be. Uh, all you have to do is give us a call, 646-721-9887. Press 1 so we know you want to get in on the show, because people do call in just to listen. Again, 646-721-9887. Press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know that you want to get in on the show and you're not just calling in to listen. We have so much to talk about today. Yesterday was a very interesting board meeting. There were some interesting things that came up about the Holiday Farm Fire we'll talk about. Had another update on on our COVID emergency, and we actually have gotten to the point where we're not going to have weekly updates anymore, if that tells you something about where we are in Lane County. Uh, but there's other stuff going on with COVID, lotteries and everything else, you know, that's always fun to talk about here, as we are the last state in the union to still have mask mandates. The last, California was the second to last. They lifted theirs yesterday. So congratulations, Oregon. We're last again. Woohoo! 
gosh. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's COVID stuff to talk about, fire stuff to talk about, you know, and uh, probably the biggest thing to talk about might be this set of maps that the city of Eugene released showing where they're thinking about having, quote, safe sleep areas around town for the homeless. Um, because, you know, during COVID, we weren't allowed to make a move anywhere. So now we might be able to make a move someplace. But because of the, the Ninth Circus Court's decision against the city of Boise that basically says you can't cite somebody for illegal camping unless you have some place for them to go. And it can't be in a religious-based uh, institution. It has to be non-religious. So it kind of really handcuffs all the the cities and and jurisdictions that are in the Ninth Circus's jurisdiction, which is basically northwestern United States. Um, so we're all stuck with that president right now, unless somebody takes it up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court overrules them. Um, and it's you know just kind of what we're stuck with is living under that that decision. Maybe as we lift COVID rules, we'll be able to move people around. We have to have some place to put them. So I can kind of understand why the city's looking for some places to put them. But what was fascinating is where they chose to put proposed sites. And um, if you're in city council ward seven, which happens to be one of the poorer city councils because it, it wards, because it includes uh, train song and Whitaker and Lower River Road and some areas that are, you know, if demographically in the city of Eugene, barely four areas. And uh, it got eight of the 11 sites in Ward 7. Zero of the sites are south of, of, west of 11th Avenue. So nothing in South Eugene. And one site is actually outside the city limits and outside any wards. They put a pin in the map on a piece of property that's diagonally across from the Shell Station at Green Hill and Highway 126. Um, and I have no idea what they're thinking, City Council. Um, there's no sidewalks or bike lanes on any of the roads leading up to that. Um, People move in and out of those camps in the dark, particularly in the wintertime. That's already one of the most accident-prone sections of Highway 126. This I know because I sit on the uh, stakeholders um, committee for the Highway 126 um, environmental assessment study where they want to improve Highway 126 and, at, and that section between Terry and Fisher um, Lane, a little further past the next you know, major intersection past Green Hill, the most accidents between there and Benita. The, clo you know, the closer you are to Eugene, the more the accidents are. And I don't know if anyone's driven that section once it goes down to two lanes wide, just past uh, Terry Street there, um, and people slow down to maybe turn left into the uh, feed store and stuff, it almost always causes an accident, let alone put a bike or a pedestrian on that at night. Holy moly, what a safety hazard that would be. 
Not to mention, I can't imagine that Shell station is exactly uh, thrilled at the idea of having a homeless encampment really close to where they're supposed to have keep public restrooms clean and actually not have a lot of shoplifting or maybe dumpster fires or who knows what what else. You know, I, yeah, I can't imagine that's going to be really good for their business. Uh, yeah, it's just. Kind of amazing that, that that site was even picked out at all. And it sort of looks like the city of Eugene's trying to export their homeless population into the county. You know, um, which is a little bit bothersome to me somewhat, because I think we talked about this last week, how the um, enabling type of services, and I count safe sleep sites as an enabling type service, we're not assisting people in any way with these safe sleep sites on addiction treatment, mental health, and other issues of why they became homeless. We're just giving them a way to be homeless easier. So, you know, I talked about how it seems like we've, we've turned into this area that enables homelessness and with Measure 110 decriminalizing most drug use and drug possession, yeah, you know, we're just becoming somewhat of a magnet now for the population that wants to live that high lifestyle. And along with folks that are feeding addictions, you can't pay for drugs with an Oregon Trail card. You can't pay for them with a Medicaid card, but you could certainly pay for them with cash you receive from selling stolen goods. In fact, you can actually get money for an Oregon Trail card, too. I know this because I had a friend that struggled with addiction, and one of the things she did was sell her Oregon Trail card every month. You, at, at least at that time, and this was probably 15 years ago, you could get 60 bucks for an Oregon Trail card. You know, it, so, you know, the cash was more important than food for those folks. When you're in full-blown addiction, it, you know, that, that's the most important thing. You know, drawing lines like it's somebody else's possession, uh, I need to eat, all that stuff falls by the wayside. So uh, if we're not providing some kind of treatment with this safe sleeps, uh, we're really kind of going somewhat in the wrong direction. Robin, I see we've got a, a caller on hold there with a question mark. All right, we're going to bring him in live. Caller, welcome Hi. to the show. Hi, Jay. So uh, who, my name's Harry Tang. How are you doing? Oh. Who is this, by the way? Hi, Jay. My name's Harry Sanger. I called in a few weeks back during my run for the 4J school board, and uh, while that oh, appearance okay. didn't quite, yeah, that appearance didn't quite move the needle, but uh, the experience did remind me that uh, those who control the narrative control the direction of our society. And uh, here in the Willamette Valley. We still believe that wearing a face mask is integral to being a good citizen to protect the vulnerable, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you view it. That notion has been proven false. Across the country, sovereign Americans are regaining their rights without killing grandma. Again, unless the narrative reminds the pandemic when it meant more control, Oregon was quick to sign a Western states pact to move in unison with California and Washington, but now those states are reopened and Oregon sits idly by. Sure, when we get to 70%, we'll open, but still under a state of emergency. And if you look at the demographics, 
only the vulnerable demographics are over that 70%. Under 40 are closer to 50 to 60%, and the rates don't appear to be picking up. Meanwhile, states across the country are hosting major sporting events with zero restrictions. Oh, that's right. The Olympic trials coming to Eugene did prompt an expedited drop to low risk for Lane County. Follow the science, they say. Mm-hmm. More like follow the narrative. So, unfortunately, as you pointed out, the narrative's written south and east of Ward 7 in Eugene. Look, I have a hard time taking on the unhoused conversation because at the end of the day, we are talking about real people and the real challenges that they face in their lives. And there are systemic issues in Eugene, such as a lack of good-paying family wage jobs and soaring real estate costs. Don't get me started on House Bill 2001 as a cause, not a solution to this. But I'm just not sure that concentrating elements of our population into camps is the best solution and strongly question the failure to find sites in more wealthy neighborhoods of Eugene. That doesn't sound very equitable, Jay. <laughs> I encourage anyone listening yeah. to email the city with your experiences and opinions on the street camping issue. But if it goes anything like the recent ward redesign survey, they may ignore your opinion if it doesn't align with their intended outcome. Anyway, thanks so much for highlighting House Bill 2289. Uh, that will help families rebuild after last summer's devastating holiday farm fires by cutting some of the bureaucratic red tape, preventing our neighbors from rebuilding their family homes. And thank you also for attempting to broaden the spectrum covered in uh, local media. You're doing important work here. All right. Thank you, Harriet. And I appreciate you calling in. Um, and, and you do bring up a good point. You know, these are real people that are homeless, but we really want to do something that helps them, not, not just enables them. And, and I think we're spending a lot of money on enabling type issues that could be spent on better, more effective, permanent help for these folks. Um, and that's kind of what I'm getting to. And we've kind of, we've kind of developed a sort of economy around it in, in Lane County. There's a lot of nonprofits that are getting considerable amounts of funds to run these camps and, and do these kind of enabling services that really don't help these people. It just kind of continues the, the whole thing. So you kind of wonder, you know, where, where some of this is going at times. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate also you highlighting that, that House Bill 2289. It's going to be a very important um, uh, bill for folks in Lane County. I was really disappointed that I could not get the rest of the board to agree to give policy direction uh, to staff to try and take the most liberal interpretation on making people qualified under that bill and um, trying to expedite folks to get from, you know, to jump past all the planning hoops and straight into building permit application. Um, but we'll, we'll talk more about that a little bit later on the show. Um, and, yeah, it, it's amazing to me where we are with COVID in this state. Um, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that, too, because I, I have to talk about the lottery stuff in more detail. But I uh, appreciate your call. appreciate you running for office. Um, I just – I know sometimes you're not – Folks aren't successful, but if people don't have any choice, that's even worse. And, and I, I really appreciate anyone that starts offering people a choice of, of candidates for office and is willing to put themselves out there because it's not the easiest thing. People, you know, try and dig up dirt and say things about you. You got to have a thick skin and um, you just, you know, I really appreciate that you ran for the 4J board and, uh, you know, really appreciate you calling in and highlighting some of these things today. Yeah, it amazes me that no sites were identified in the Amazon Park area. 
I mean, there's a lot of flat ground in that area that's open space. There's really good bus service up and down, you know, the Amazon Parkway and and that whole corridor. Uh, so access to services is pretty good, um, but nothing was identified down there. Yeah, they're they're willing to put one really close to North Eugene High School, but Lord forbid they put anything close to South Eugene High School. <laughs> All right. Well, anything else, Harry? Yeah, I, I would just add the the last 4J school board meeting is tonight for anybody who wants to tune into that and uh, hear about their plans for reopening next year and. Yeah, thanks again for highlighting the, the discrepancy that, that North Eugene uh, experiences as compared to South Eugene when it comes to, to school planning as well. So uh, have, have a great day, Jay, and keep up the great work. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Harry. Thanks for calling in. And just like that, that's how easy it is to have somebody jump into the conversation and, um, you know, take the direction of the conversation where you want it to go. So, Robin, was that somebody trying to get here for a second, Jay? We got somebody I think's been trying to get through. If they can go ahead and stay, try and stay in the line a little bit, we'll uh, be able to talk to them and bring them on if they want to talk. Sounds good. Yeah. So while she's doing that, I'll just note that you know I had to spend most of my day to day driving to and from Florence. Um, as I've told folks before, my wife had total knee replacement surgery and can't drive yet. So every time she has a doctor's appointment, this one just happened to be down at Peace, you know, the Peace Harbor campus down there. So, which is just about as easy for us to get to uh, from Elmira as it is to get all the way over into uh, Springfield as far as time goes. So I got to drive to the coast and back today. <laughs> This is one of those crazy things, you know, that's been keeping me busy while I try and juggle, you know, being a, a, a commissioner at the same time, all those crazy demands. And it's and when you're driving, you can't respond to emails. And when you get in certain areas on 126, you can't even make a phone call. So it's really kind of a little bit, a little bit frustrating at times. Um, but uh, so if, if I want to, I'm saying that partly because I know I'm, owe some people some return phone calls out there that have left me messages, I'll get to you. <laughs> Just been a little crazy. I'm, I'm running a day or so behind returning phone calls. Um, so it looks like that person hasn't tried to call back in, Robin. I'm going to keep on this conversation a little bit about the uh, the sites across Eugene because it, it it is an interesting thing. You know, and I, I kind of – um, taking Eugene to task for not identifying not just sites to, to have people camp on because they were constantly pushing Lane County to identify property, our properties that people could camp on, but would never volunteer their own. And, and at least I can say they're finally doing some of that. But the thing that most upsets me is they the one thing I've asked them to do is identify some of their surplus properties that could be used for permanent supportive housing. Robin, is that our caller coming in? Looks like it. Don't jump off. We'll get to you, caller. <laughs> um, and that permanent supportive housing is part of what I talk about with 
permanent solutions for the homeless, where we can actually get people um, the ability to get treatment, case management. You don't get that in a tent camp. You do get that with permanent supportive housing, and the city of Eugene hasn't offered up any surplus property to us for that purpose uh, at this time, and we ended up carving off a piece of the fairgrounds, which wasn't a very good decision. Um, Robin, does that caller want to get on? Does Tina want to talk on the air, or is she just calling in to listen? Tina would like to speak with you. Well, then let's bring her on. Tina. Tina. Hello. How you doing? I am. I'm doing well. I live in North Eugene, just very near the high school. And Uh, we have some real concerns. uh, I bet you. Well, they have selected two sites there, literally next door to each other. And I don't know if how many people are aware we already have a site at the former VA building where the COVID recovery went in. Yeah. So yeah, that's actually that will, that's actually a yeah. facility. So we will have possibly three sites with multiple I mean when you start talking about things like RVs and cars and tents we're not talking about one or 200 people. We could be going considerably over that with multiple people being able to be in an RV or a car or a tent. Yeah. And, and right next to a high school. Yeah. Um, and if it's any experience we're seeing with um, the Washington Jefferson camping, the businesses around that area have suffered a lot of crime, a lot of vandalism, dumpster fires. Um, I can't imagine what it'll be like for businesses in the Riviera shopping center. And that has been a discussion taking place amongst neighbors where we fully expect that if, if these sites come into play, we expect grocery outlet to leave. I mean, I wouldn't stay. They already deal with a tremendous amount of theft. Um, Bymart might be a little better off just because they're more, you know, they're they're not as independent. Um, they're more of a corporate store. Uh, Riviera, yeah, I can't, you know, with all of those small businesses. Um, <laughs> we, my husband made the comment last night, can you imagine having two of these sites full of older cars that people are living in and owning the auto parts store in the shopping center. I mean, (laughs) it's, you know, and it's just, it also feels like this area of town is really being kind of put upon for lack of a better, you know, you know, is it because we're just so far north on the edge of town that they think we won't notice? (laughs) Well, I, I don't I think know. part of it is a lot of unincorporated area there, so they're really not affecting a lot of city voters. There's a right. lot of county folks that are going to get impacted by this decision that don't have a vote for city council person or the mayor. Right. You know, sort of like so. this site yeah. in Greenville. Yeah, I, it, it's, 
it, it's surprising to me. And, and I, you know, my, the best donuts in all of Blaine County are right there. <laughs> and I don't want to see cows go away because they get chased off because of right. crime and, and, and everything. So, yeah, I, I <laughs> yeah, and I lived in the rural road neighborhood. So um, I know the area really um, well. And we've seen, we're seeing, I mean, like much of you, Jean, but we, we in this area, I, like, again, neighbors talking to neighbors, we have seen in the last six months a huge spike just in, in petty crimes, you know, people stealing bicycles, catalytic converters, cans, you know, stuff that isn't necessarily expensive, but troublesome, certainly. And we've oh, seen a lot com- more of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've always had an issue there because there was always a certain level of homeless camping along the riverfront. Right. Um, sure. and, and, and when I was living on Sunnyside, um, there was, a, you know, you'd see transients walking between river and the railroad yards pretty consistently mm-hmm. back. Right. Um, so that's always, always been an area that's had a fair amount of transient population. population. Right. But now that these camps up there close to the high school, right up against all those businesses, um, it, it is right. going to be impactful in a way that I don't think the city council understands. And I think the city council needs to hear from folks like you, Tina. Um, they're having a work session on the 23rd. So email, email the mayor. There was, there was a meeting. Yeah. There was, a, there was an online Zoom meeting, and I apparently I missed it because I was busy doing the mom thing. But <laughs> um, <laughs> apparently they weren't being very forthcoming during that session about details so we'll see um it's but we're concerned we're definitely i mean honestly it's it it's crossing our mind that you know okay if they do this how long do we actually want to stay here because you know, <laughs> you know it's not going to be a pleasant yeah. place well i i, I, mean, I live out in the now because of some of the, you know, the quality of life issues of being that, that far in town. I mean, it was great. I, I love the house I was in. The the soil, you could grow anything in the River Road area. I, I mm-hmm. swear that, you know, you, 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 you know it's wonderful soils, yeah. and I love, love gardening there. Uh, I had a nice 1934 bungalow um, that we had rehabbed, and uh, it was just a great place to live. Close to restaurants, really close. I mean, I used to, I used to work in Springfield, and I would ride my bike to and from work, and six out of my seven-mile commute was on the river. It was really nice. hard to, to get to or get home in a bad mood. <laughs> it's indeed, but, you know, right? It, it, eventually, the, the quality of life issues pushed us out to Elmira. Uh, so I get it, you know, where people are thinking about that. And it shows in some way. The, the outlying yeah. communities, Lane County, are the fastest growing communities. Junction City and Cresswell have much higher percent growth rates than Eugene does. So you kind of kind of wonder into why, why Eugene it, from Junction City. So that's funny. <laughs> yeah, but and you may well, you may go back someday. We may we're we we're considering the coast at this point. Um, it's just, 
you know, this between between the the feeling, you know, like we're gonna get hundreds of hundreds of sites in the neighborhood, um, and knowing that the crime will go up with that. And then of course you mentioned earlier Measure one ten is not helping any of this. Um no. it's an open invitation. So you know, having uh, having that many people who are able to openly use is just yeah, and as the city of Eugene, yeah, yeah, they're starting, they're thinking about, you know, putting that um, that kind of car camping sort of ordinance in place where they have to move every three days or something. Right. I, you know, well, isn't that a county ordinance anyway? Um, I don't, well, a county ordinance like that wouldn't apply inside city limits. Um, right. So it, it you know, it, you can't. You can't camp or park on county roadways. Um, you know, we have the ability to, our, our, our um, waymaster actually enforces that, that illegal parking. But what I'm concerned about is if they, that's intended to target the industrial areas out in West Eugene where they've been having severe problems with that. Sure. Where do those guys, where do those guys go? You know, they're going to start doing, you know, parking in residential areas, hoping that they can kind of sneak by, you know, and not, not, you know, they're going to start looking to where where can we go? We're not going to get get moved as often. Right. <laughs> and we see it here so, um, because we're you know we're in a residential area, but we're not very far off Maxwell. So we see it three or four times a year where an RV will show up and not move for several days. So yeah. I mean that's that's happening, just not yeah, not like it is near. West 11th. Yeah, but, but if yeah, they, it's, they through his you'll probably see more of it. I'm yeah. sure, and I, and I don't, you know, with with the with the decriminalization of the drug use, I don't, you know, I don't know how they could possibly limit. I mean, short of violence, of course, but you know, it, it's you can have two sites full of people who are going to sit around and and use drugs and you know that's a possibility and there won't be any you know it's technically not illegal right so well, it's a misdemeanor that somehow right yeah it's a misdemeanor where there's the drugs yeah. yeah yeah and that's you know I, I was mentioning that earlier in the show folks that are in full-blown addiction all of the various help none of that no one pays for drugs and the only and drug dealers don't take credit you know they don't take you know medicaid or or any sort of uh government uh right. stuff you know, there, there there is no you know drug bank <laughs> out there that they can go you know like a food bank they have to get cash somehow or another and you know the you know, one of the easiest ways to get cash is what you were talking about bicycles like and a can of gasoline that you can, you know, maybe sell to somebody else for cash, you know. For, right. Um, Small. You know, yeah. Of course, that that yeah, the the catalytic converters are worth quite a bit in cash. That's why they've gotten so popular right. to steal, and that that gets really expensive to replace for somebody. Um, that's a fourteen hundred dollar yeah. fix. Yeah. And yeah. hopefully the legislature deals with that soon. They're talking about it. Yeah, 
the bill that would have dealt with it, but I haven't seen it come out yet. Um, and I think it even had a clause on it. So, yeah. Well, and you would, it, hope, it, you would hope that the businesses themselves would deal with it, right? You know, you would hope that they would just look at it and go, you know, I know where this came from, and no. <laughs> but they're not going to turn down a profit, so. Yeah, and part of that, they, yeah. As a business, when you start trying to do stuff like that, the next thing you know is somebody sues you for discrimination. You sure. turn down my Catholic burger, you know, because of the way I looked or what what you thought of me. So I'm going to take you to court and, you know, take you for a million bucks, you know, right. <laughs> or at least cost you a hundred thousand in attorney fees. Yeah, so Thank it's you, like right? I, I, fighting me. Yeah, so the businesses without some kind of legislation that says you have to show you're a certified dealer can't ask for that without getting themselves sure. you know, tied up in court. In the legal, right. Yeah, well, hopefully, kind of like the face mask. You know, if you if you, <laughs> if you let people not wear the mask, then, then and you're not asking for proof of vaccination, OSHA is going to come after right. you. Yeah. I so. uh, I just don't I don't um, I hopefully hopefully the council makes a better you know makes the right decision I and I had heard I my understanding was most of these sites were city owned but I don't think in fact I know that the site where the church is is city owned I believe that's private property that's where the fireworks stand is now. Um, so that's out. That's money that will have to be spent to purchase that property. Yeah. So my question would be, if 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 that property has to be purchased, why are we even talking about it as a site? <laughs> because you don't own it yet, City of Eugene. <laughs> and I had heard that it that that piece of property was under contract already. So I'm beginning to wonder if they have already made the decision to purchase that property yeah. and place a site there. Yeah. Like, so. I, I, I'm not aware of that myself, um, but I do know that at least this, the site on uh, Green Hill and 126, they have a potential two-year lease or something um, mm-hmm. they can exercise. So it's not necessarily a purchase that they can, they can right. get by renting a piece of property for a camp. Which, for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I don't, I don't know what the what the River Avenue property. I mean, I know that it's for sale. Did you see the signs when you when you're on Beltline? You can, you know, there's big signs. Yeah. Um. So, either way, it's not surplus, right? <laughs> so. Yeah. That's money that's being spent. So. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. That and was my piece for not- today. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate you calling in, Tina, and. Um, you know, that's the, the whole point of the show is having conversations and hearing from people like you. Uh, it's one of the reasons I do the show, so people have the ability to talk to me direct, directly. Uh, so thank you for calling in, and uh, thank you for listening. And don't forget to email the city council and the mayor. Um, we will. I think on if you, you look on the comments to the post I put up with the two maps on Facebook, mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw my post about that, um, I think I put the email address for the mayor and council there. It, 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 it's pretty, 
fine. Uh, if you if you Google City of Eugene Mayor and Council, you can get to their page, and there's a, a link for uh, emailing the entire Mayor and City Council on that page. Excellent. So. Well, thank you. Yeah. So that, that's thank you for a good way to get to Well. All right. Well, thank you for calling, Tina. All right. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. Bye bye. See it. It's so easy to get in here on the Bose Nose Show and take the conversation where you want to go and kind of let people feel what you're feeling. And, and you know, I really feel for Tina and some of the folks there in that North River Road area. Um, they are kind of going to get a concentration of, of services for a population. Um, not all of them are, are are lawless. Not all of them commit property crime. Not all of them are addicted to drugs or have mental health issues, but that population has a tendency to have a, a, a heavy concentration of people that are addicted to drugs and have mental health issues and do commit crime. You know, that, that's just a fact, you know, and, and yeah, it's not profiling or anything like that. It comes with the disease, you know, you, you have people that aren't in control of themselves mentally. They will cause problems sometimes because they don't understand the limits of civil society. They will do things that cause them to, you know, not understand when they're crossing the line in the criminal act. Folks that are addicted will do things to feed that addiction, like property crime. And when they're high, they'll do stupid things sometimes that rise to the level of crime. You know, that just comes with the diseases. Um, and those diseases are quite often what cause people to become homeless. You don't pay your rent. When you're addicted, you pay for your drugs. You misbehave and put holes in walls and cuss at your landlord or whatever. You end up on the street, you know, with a mental health issue. Those things drive a lot of homelessness. So if you're not dealing with those issues, you're not helping these people in the long term. And just giving them some place to safely camp but still be in full-blown mental health crisis or full-blown addiction isn't really helping them. Because they're not dealing with physical health issues, they're not dealing with taking care of themselves, and they're probably going to commit a crime because of those diseases. We really should be taking the funding for things like this and pushing it hard into the more permanent solutions and trying to move the needle long term. We can get some of these people off of the streets and into permanent supportive housing. We have studies that show these folks can cost us sixty-five dollars to $80,000 a year in jail bookings, police response, emergency room visits, uh, ambulance call-outs, you name it. All these emergency services that if we can get them into housing with support, we get that that costs us only about fifteen thousand dollars a year. So we, you know, even that saves a lot of money for the government to then 
maybe plow into more permanent housing. But if we're taking that money that we could be spending on permanent housing, we're spending it on enabling folks to continue these behaviors, we're not moving the needle. And we're spending that sixty-five to eighty thousand anyway. So we really need to make sure that we are um, really doing the correct things around homelessness. And, and you know, that that to me is more compassionate it is to help these people in a permanent way. And, and it doesn't make us a magnet. So that's really, really important to me. And it's one of the reasons, you know, I've fought, I've fought against people in my own party and conservatives about the whole idea of housing first. And our, our MLK Commons camp uh, project we put up, because it makes sense if really on a conservative side too. I would rather spend $15,000 a year treating those folks and eventually hopefully curing some of their issues and moving them into less costly housing, maybe even getting them back to being, you know, taxpaying citizens eventually, than spending 65 to 80,000 arresting them, booking them, putting them in jail, you know, for short periods of time, putting them in crisis centers, taking them to ER rooms. You know, that is expensive. And it's a waste of human capital. That's probably the, the most sad thing about this whole homeless thing. All of those people treated could probably become productive members of society, creative members of society. Quite often, some of the folks that, that, that balance on the edge are very creative people. Yet they're you know, their self-treatment of their mental health issues that might have led them into addiction and all that is making them not realize their full potential as a human being. How much waste is that to our society? How much human capital is going to waste if we're not helping them in a way that's more permanent instead of enabling them to continue that wasting that human capital? That, to me, is a conservative value, helping people maximize their ability to produce and, and be productive citizens and to live happy lives. You know, because I don't think they're truly happy when they're in, in their addiction phases, at least at most of, you know, ex-addicts, or they tell, tell you they're never not an addict, but the people that are, are currently in recovery and not using Will tell you they weren't really happy when they were were using. You know that they 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 were miserable. They knew what was going on, but they couldn't stop it. So, or didn't have the ability till something changed. Quite often, that was maybe getting arrested on a felony and then having that felony held in abeyance while you went to treatment. And if you successfully finished the treatment, the felony went away. Oh, Measure 110 kind of got rid of that tool for us, didn't it? Uh, so, but I want to switch gears as I remind folks that uh, we are calling show 646-721-9887. And before we lose 
the whole hour here on on the homeless camping issue, I got to talk about the holiday farm fire stuff and this House Bill 2289. Now, this is a bill that I know that our uh, East Lane Commissioner also pushed for. I, I will give her credit for that. I was pushing for it in a more backroom way than she was, working through the Oregon uh, Property Owners Association, Dave Honeycutt, and some other people. Um, and it was basically a bill that was designed and originally set out, but you know, in negotiations and every, everything never starts out the way it was. The idea of the bill was if you had a house that got burnt down on those Labor Day fires anywhere in Oregon, and you could prove you had that house, you were going to get grandfathered into being able to reconstruct that house, no matter how old it was, whether it was in a floodplain or not. You know, basically the idea was you're, you're a grandfather. We're not going to make you jump through a bunch of hoops to get back to rebuilding your house. Well, didn't quite go all the way to complete grandfathering, but it is pretty good. And basically, you know, you have to prove that your house was there and, and all that. And there's several ways you can do it. Uh, you know, from a, a, a having assessor's records that was being assessed for having a residential uh, property there to, uh, you know, aerial photographs and other things, um, you know, copies of previous, the building permit, you know, all sorts of things you can do to prove that. Um, and then if that is there, all the planning issues go away, with the exception of floodplain approvals, only to the extent if the floodplain, you know, issuing the permit in the floodplain would jeopardize a county's ability to participate in the National Flood Insurance Program. And lo and behold, I, I, we talked about this a lot on this program. Um, Lane County, you know, passed that, that floodplain ordinance last fall over my objections. Actually, we passed it, I think, in December eventually. Over my objections, because it would impact fire victims. But one of the things I was clear about and staff acknowledged, almost all of that ordinance, the new requirements that were above and beyond the old requirements, weren't necessary to meet the National Flood Insurance Program. They were above and beyond what was required for the base flood insurance program. So we should be able to, you know, basically have all those folks up there not have to do things like compensatory storage that's in that new floodplain ordinance. They shouldn't have to prove that they, that the negative, that they have no other place to build but it within the floodplain, as that, that new language describes. That's not part of the National Flood Insurance Program. So um, hopefully you know, we'll get there. And you know, describes all these things that counties can accept uh, for that proof. And I just asked the commissioners to um, give policy direction to our land management staff to take the most liberal interpretation of that bill. To you know, if somebody came in with an assessor's thing that that was good enough, not have them have to come in with an assessor's uh, certificate and aerial photos and a survey or this, that, you know, uh, building permits. No, take the simplest, easiest amount of proof. If somebody was, uh, you know, had their, lost their home because of the fire, take the, because, you know, a lot of people lost all those documents too. Yeah. 
take the least amount of proof possible under the bill and move people into the program of skipping the line of all those planning things and going straight to building permit. This simple thing, the board could have all agreed, you know what, I, we agree with that. We should direct staff to follow that, that, that you know, be as, as liberal as possible in interpreting that and move as many people to building permits as you can that were fire victims. And we know, you know, we have maps that show which, which dwellings got destroyed during the fire, GIS-wise. So we actually know it. These people shouldn't have to prove it. So, you know, a simple thing like that, and I could not get, other than Commissioner Farr, I could not get anyone on that progressive side of the board, including Commissioner Buck, who represents that area, to agree to give that kind of direction to staff. They wanted to wait till staff came back with a report in the next update, a month later, a month, before they would even think about giving direction because they wanted to give staff time to give us a report. Well, I finally kind of got it down to where staff's going to give us a report probably within a week in writing, and then we're going to talk about it in a month. But, um, you know, they made it sound like, well, this just got signed by the governor. We have time to digest. Well, it got approved by the Senate. You know, it started in the House, got approved by the Senate, and was sent to the governor's desk on May 27th. It just took the governor till Monday to finally sign it. So it's been sitting around for over two weeks with the language exactly the way it is, knowing it was going to get signed because the dang thing was approved by more than a two-thirds majority by both houses, which meant it was veto-proof. It, it went by the Senate at a 27 to 3 vote. So, you know, the governor wasn't going to not sign this bill. So we knew what the language was for over two weeks. It's a short bill. It's two pages worth of writing, basically. How hard would it have been for us to give that direction yesterday? Please, staff, take the most liberal interpretation of proof necessary to jump away from the, because you know what I'm hearing? You know, because of COVID and all that stuff, things have been moving slowly through our permits department because people are working remotely and all the problems with that and blah, 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 blah. Uh, I hear every excuse in the book why permits aren't going, moving very fast. And the other thing I'm hearing is we're overloaded with fire permits. So if we could suddenly eliminate half the process for fire victims, wouldn't that free up a lot of staff on the planning side to maybe start processing other people's permits? because I am hearing from folks that have put in for permits outside of the fire area last year that still haven't been able to get a permit. So why can't we get our board to kind of give that direction, open up that staff capacity to help the rest of the county? We're in a housing crisis. We have people that you know, we just finished spending 45 minutes talking about homelessness. And one of, one of the reasons why is, is also cost. There are people that have lost their housing because they couldn't afford it. And we have people that want to build housing outside of the fire areas that can't get permits.
people should be asking Heather Buck, Joe Bernie, and Lori, why? Why wouldn't you provide that direction? What was what was so difficult about giving that policy direction? Because, you know, the, yes, staff will work out the details. They are the administrators. But policy is set by the board. And we, you know, we have failed to really give good policy direction to our permit department, I think, at least in the last several years. And it seems like the permit department, you know, like a lot of administrators, tends to like red tape, and things just don't move as fast as, as most people would like them to. It is the number one complaint I hear from constituents. Those phone calls that I'm not quite getting, keeping up with, almost all of them are about permit issues and how people aren't hearing back, aren't getting their permits, aren't even being told what they're supposed to do or, or being told to do something and then finding out later that they did the wrong thing. And then staff kind of, you know, just kind of shrugs their shoulders and, and sends them back to, to step one again. Um, you know, it just, I, I, and sometimes I know, I will say I, a lot of times, the permit person, the person applying for the permit doesn't understand what they're doing and is sometimes misinterpreted what staff said and there's problems there. But that's, you know, we just need to get staff more available to them. So we can iron out some of those issues. And if, and if we provided clear direction yesterday, I think we'd be kicking people, you know, into the building permit side of things that are stuck in the planning side upriver and opening up planning staff maybe to answer some of those questions more directly for people. Provide them better guidance, not let them misinterpret things. But, you know, we need, people need to maybe ask those, those progressive commissioners why they couldn't commit to doing that. You know, it just, it was a surprise to me. Um, so that, that's, just one of those things. Well, I'm going to shift gears again and jump back to COVID for a minute because I, I just I, I got to say this: um, this insanity with giving things away for people to get back vaccinated is starting to get just a little crazy. So, I get an email from the governor's office yesterday saying that. The governor's office has decided that they're going to make available for counties to put their own money in for prizes on the vaccine lottery within their own counties. You know, so we could, you know, if we wanted to, Lane County could put money into the state to give out prizes for people to entice them to get vaccinated. You know, it's like, oh, great. And and then today I get. A, a notice from the state saying, oh, by the way, we've decided to give a $10,000 prize out in each of the 36 counties in addition to the million-dollar prize. Well, that's really great if you're a resident of some of the, the, the uh, what they call the pioneer counties out there. Um, you know, if I was in Wheeler or Sherman County, where there's only 1,400 and 1,600 people total in the county, you got a pretty damn good chance of winning $10,000 if you go get a vaccine. But if you're in Lane County where there's 380-some thousand people, eh, maybe not so much about getting that, that 10000 bucks. 
that that was a really interesting uh, twist today on that whole vaccine uh, award thing. But you know, it it bothers me to some extent that we're trying to bribe people to make a healthcare choice. As I've said before on this program, we should just be laying out the disease risk are and what the vaccine uh, effectiveness is and what the vaccine side effect risks are and let people make a choice and try and make sure we're, we're making it available, holding clinics where the people are, going out in rural areas, getting to workplaces, wherever else. But just let people make their choice. Don't try and bribe them. If anything, that makes people somewhat reluctant because it's like, why do you got to bribe me? Why you got to give away prizes to get a vaccine? And it makes me wonder if the vaccine, mm, you know, you know, mm, you know, it's like, just imagine if any other health decision was being, you know, trying to influence this way. Let's take something really controversial. Let's take the decision whether or not a woman decides to get an abortion. And if one side or the other decided to give to have a lottery available to folks that made the choice one way or the other, you think that might cause just a little bit of a controversy either way it went? Say a red state that was doing a lottery to encourage people not to get them and maybe a blue state that was doing a lottery that, you know, was encouraging women to get that, that you know, because it is, quote, a health decision, according to some. According to some, it's it's, it's not, but uh, you know that's. I'm not going to jump into that argument that much. But just imagine any other healthcare decision where we ran a lottery trying to influence which direction you made that decision. You know, just you know, I get back to the the state offering counties the ability to put our own money in to kind of, you know, sweeten the pot for our county residents. It's like, I mean, if that comes before our board, I am going to be totally against that. I don't think the state should be running a, a lottery in the first place, not to mention the fact that because of the way vaccines are done and, and the federal government issues, you know, veterans their vaccines to the VA system and that they won't transfer data to the state. Veterans have to notify the state they've been vaccinated to be eligible. So our folks that served our country have to jump through extra hoops, but that one person out of 1,400 out there in Wheeler County might get $10,000 just for showing up. Robin, you want to jump in on this one? Yeah, just real quick. I think it's really nice of them to be very generous with our tax money. Yeah, it is, but yeah. You know, what the state's going to tell you is they're using the federal money for this, which, you know, last time I checked, federal money is tax money that's ours, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, that disconnect between where money comes from sometimes just kills me. Um, yeah, don't get me started. We were having a whole conversation yesterday about um, the possibility of having a executive session to talk about bringing a lawsuit to get reimbursed for the cost of the holiday farm fire that the county incurred against, you know, whoever the responsible parties were. And I'm thinking the only people to get rich in that conversation are the lawyers. I mean, and it's the same attorney group, I think, that must have represented the city of Palisades, California, 
you know, for that that fire down there where they sued the uh, the power company. Well, the power company settled that and paid them a whole bunch of money. So the city got money. But you know what the power company did? They raised the rates for all the ratepayers to pay for the settlement. So the ratepayers ended up paying for it, which are also the, you know some of the residents of that city. And the only people that actually ended up with more money after the lawsuit than before the lawsuit were the attorneys on both sides. So it's like, you really want to make the attorneys rich? We're going to sue EWEB and BPA over the holiday farm fire so they can raise the rates to all of you know the folks here in, in Lane County. <laughs> Take the money from one pocket. And, and, and in the meantime, a bunch of lawyers are going to skim money out of that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, I, I was not 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 favorable on that that idea at all. Well, looks like we're just about out of time here. In fact, I think we ran a little bit over. Because <laughs> Robin got me going again. So we'll be back next week with another edition of the Bose Nose Show. Well, we'll be coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Thank you for listening. Thanks for the folks that called in. And we'll be back next week. Have a great week. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.